1: This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. This is David Rothkopf, your host, coming to you from an undisclosed location in New Jersey. And joining us from Washington, D.C., we have Georgetown University's Rosa Brooks, Third Way's Mika Oyang, and Ed Luce of the Financial Times. And in London, England, somewhere in London, England, we have Corey Shockey joining us from the double I double S. <laughs> See, there's a sign of Corey Shockey somewhere there in the ether. So we there's so many things going on here today. I'm just going to sort of fire them out there one at a time. I'm going to start with two stories that are in the news today, move to one for tomorrow and move to one for later in the week. We'll see where that goes for us. Okay. The first story I want to start with today um, is the story of, um, that has just been sort of partially reported, suggesting that the Trump administration has used an Israeli operation called Black Cube to dig up information on Obama foreign policy team members, notably Ben Rhodes and uh, our own uh, friend here, Colin Call, who's often joins us on Deep State Radio, um, uh, to apparently discredit them, uh, that efforts that involved um, uh, reaching out to their families, to their wives, um, and, as far as the reporting that is currently in play goes, uh, the Black Cube denies doing this for the Trump administration, but there is word that they did it for a company without specifying the company. So we're sort of in mid-reporting on this, but it does seem like somebody was trying to use dirty tricks to attack uh, proponents of the um Iran deal. And I just wanted to get people's reactions to put this in some perspective. Let me start with you, Mika.
2: So this story, I feel like, has the potential to be quite significant if it was as originally reported. But as you note, I feel like we've got a lot of pieces of this that are still um, ambiguous as to exactly who hired this firm. We know that this firm was used to try and investigate and discredit some of the Harvey Weinstein um supporters and if it was in fact hired by Trump administration officials or even his aides it violates a really long standing norm that uh US intelligence services don't use foreign intelligence services to do things that they can't do specifically collect information on Americans. And so that is a really big um problem if, in fact, the Trump administration was trying to use information, especially to discredit political opponents. Um, But again, we still have a lot of information still to come on this story.
1: Um, It does seem that if, in fact, it is true, uh, that it raises a few questions like, who paid for it? Who oversaw it? What was the purpose for it? If a company was involved, what company was involved? And if this incident occurred regarding these two individuals, were there other incidents? Corey, what what was your first reaction?
0: My first reaction was uh, that why are they doing this? They ought to attack the agreement on its merits. Uh, There are plenty of good reasons not to like the uh, JPCOA, JCPOA. I always, I always transpose those two letters, and you don't. You you
1: missed you, you you missed the last episode in which Rosa <laughs> turned JCPOA into a song.
0: <laughs> That's our Rosa. <laughs> the the,
1: re, the refrain of which we just heard in the background.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so. Lots of good reasons uh, to militate against the Iran nuclear agreement, uh, and I'm I think it's disgraceful and dangerous that they are doing opposition research and and trying to make personal invective the way that you destroy the Iran nuclear agreement.
1: Uh, absolutely true, Ed. We seem to have the juxtaposition of this news with the president's announcement um, that tomorrow, that we're recording this on Monday, on Tuesday, at 2 p.m., the president will announce his stance on the JCPOA, or as Rosa would like to call it, Jikpoa. Poa. Uh, And uh,
0: Rosa, he was leaving you room to sing it. Why did you miss your cue? Sorry, folks. I I know. There's really nothing not to love about the Jikpoa once
3: you really get to know it Uh, musically. Yeah, Yeah,
1: no, no. Yes, exactly. You turn anything into a song, it has a new meaning. But but as we sort of head towards this, all signs point to the U.S. um, pulling out of it Despite you, you know the protestations of the number one spokesperson for your native land, um, your doppelganger, Boris Johnson.
4: I very, very nearly terminated the call when I heard your doppelganger, <laughs> but but I rose above it. Um, I'm a professional, um, so yes, Boris Johnson, of course, <laughs> unlike uh, unlike Macron. And Merkel didn't get to see President Trump, so he appeared on Fox and Friends to ensure he would have the president's undivided attention um, on Monday morning. And he uh, penned a a New York Times op-ed. I don't think um, either effort will have any sway on what Trump is going to announce, which I think is likely eventually to result in uh, new sanctions, and America therefore um, pulling out from the deal. I'm not entirely sure whether it's going to happen this week. Uh, I think there is a lot of of countervailing voices, not just from Europe, but within the administration from the Pentagon and other places, that this is going to cut into the all-important preparations for the summit with Kim Jong-un, and that Trump is a past master of announcing something and then kicking the can down the road for a month or two. And he he can do this for another couple of months. But the uh, the um, the black cube, the um, the 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 Israeli um, uh, private investigative company hired by a private company, uh, perhaps or by something more direct directly affiliated uh, to the Trump campaign is something we need to know more about. When they say a company, do they mean, you know, uh, uh, General Electric or do they mean the Trump organization uh, or do they mean an Israeli company, perhaps, um, that, uh, you know, has, has an interest in um, in this deal being um, uh, being unraveled? Uh, it's it's a very interesting story, but it's frustratingly vaguely sourced.
1: Well, it's, it seems it does seem to be early days. Although there have been throughout the um, the, the past few months efforts um, by some folks in the White House to go after these uh, Obama officials, and then this is compounded by the fact that the president tweeted as recently uh, as today an attack on John Kerry for being out there uh, meeting with former counterparts. Uh, and and the president, I thought. Had the kind of uh, lack of self awareness to suggest that perhaps Kerry, in doing this, was in violation of the Logan Act, uh, which, of course, was the you know the very very first thing his administration did, uh, even before <laughs> becoming uh, president, was violate the Logan Act. Uh, I guess you can only I guess you can only do it prior to becoming president. Um, uh, and Rosa, I'm just wondering. What 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 your sense is of of where we go next with this here in the U.S., uh, particularly if, as we discussed last week, and as seems to be now the stance of Iran and the Europeans, the rest of them just say, uh, "Okay, they're gone. We'll just keep going."
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, they, I don't see that they have any alternative uh, to doing that. I mean, that's what else can they do, right? Other than as we discussed last week, pretend it's like somebody who burped at a state dinner and politely pretend it didn't happen. Um, So, you know, we'll see. Uh, I think I think as we as Ed suggested as well, odds that Trump somehow kind of punched this down the road a little bit further remain fairly high Um, on the on the issue that we started with the the possible uh, effort to gather dirt on Ben Rhodes and our very own Deep State Radio friend Colin Call. Um, we're going to wait, have to wait and see what else comes out. But all I can say is good luck to them. I, knowing both uh, Colin and Ben Rhodes, I think the the major criticism that you could level at them is that they they have insufficient dirt to gather. Uh, there, <laughs> there ain't nothing there. These guys are going to get really bored. Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine your job being just dig up dirt on Colin Call's house? Like. Based on what we've heard so far, and this is, of course, unsubstantiated, their efforts to go after Colin Call consisted of having somebody phone his wife and ask to talk to her about charitable contributions to their children's school, which really doesn't
0: sound like a rich, rich vein uh, of dirt or anything else. Especially (laughs) not in the Trump era. I would not know it if
2: someone would, in fact, though, if they're going to dig up dirt on Colin, I would like some insights into his playlists, but,
3: you know. Well, you're making reference
1: well, to the fact it, that he has got to be one of the nerdiest DJs around. That's,
3: right. And, that's and, right. and people probably don't realize that Colin is also a DJ, but but yes, he is. Um, but that's about as exciting as it gets, guys. We're
4: and, nerds. And be- we don't, ben we don't
3: do
4: dirt. Ben Rhodes is not the kind of whatever criticisms you can legitimately level at Ben Rhodes. He is likewise not the kind of person who's, you know, running some money laundered, funded Harem for himself, you know, in in Central Asia.
3: It it is very much a kind of Trump Trump folks being unable to imagine that everyone is not just like Indeed. them. You know, the assumption is I, I really, that everybody's paying off porn stars. But I, I really have
1: sure to say, that, <laughs> <down>. <laughs> you know, Corey uses this expression. That's a visual, visual I could do without. But I I, I have to say. I, I wish they could come up with evidence that Ben Rhodes was running a harem in Southeast Asia or something like that.
4: Oh, no, I really don't. <laughs> I just, I just, oh, David, that's been... No, no, it just I did to me it would be so,
1: such a twist, you know, such a change of pace. Um, it, it would be
3: surprising.
4: <laughs> right? it's, uh, it's just, well, he's got you know, a book coming out. Ben Rhodes is about to release his book, of course. So it will probably help.
0: right. Maybe it's a tell-all. Yeah. Oh, for Christ's oh. sake. Oh. I, yeah, well, I think we all already be. have heard too much from Ben Rhodes. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm sure, yes. There's no question. Well,
0: we,
3: we, we could have a whole episode about Ben Rhodes, um, but I'm almost certain that no matter what else we might come up to say about him, it, it's not going to involve porn stars.
1: Uh, God, I hope so. Mika, um, yeah. one, of,
3: one of one of
1: the things that we seem to be getting at here is we try to have thoughtful analysis is that if the trump administration is going to go do character assassination they shouldn't target nerds and i'm just i'm just wondering what your view is on this
2: yeah i think that that's right i think that they may not actually know any nerds given the kinds of people that they bring into the administration and the kinds of scandals attached to them. It's like we're entirely two different species of people. I don't think that they understand that a scandal for most wonks is that you forgot to bring your reusable bags when you went to the grocery store and not (laughs) that you had uh, a retainer to pay off porn stars on behalf of your boss. Um, Well, that's true. it's
1: It's because the one nerd they have in their administration Stephen Miller spent his entire childhood pulling the wings off of insects and harming small animals. Which <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm not sure if he actually goes to a grocery store. He seems to subsist off of like shadows and darkness.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, okay. Let's let's move on to another story of the day. This is just a smaller one, but I would like to touch upon it in passing. I thought it was kind of interesting for the nerds who follow of the foreign policy world, um, uh, Corey, um, to to have Oliver North, a, a, a wonderful name from our collective past, um, <laughs> um, picked to be the president of the NRA, which raises the specter or possibility that a cold warrior who ultimately was convicted of crimes, although they were later vacated for being a cold warrior, will now be the head of an organization as it faces charges of being on the payroll and a tool of the Kremlin. Um, (laughs) Which is, you know, again, it's sort of a beautiful circularity. But I was just wondering, you know, what what do you think of the return of Oliver North to our national dialogue?
0: Well, I hope he takes the mantle at the NRA early enough that when felony charges are prosecuted against that organization for accepting Russian money clandestinely and seeking to influence American elections, that he can he can turn a hat trick, right, and be be a felon twice over, because um, because that seems to me perfectly fitting for somebody who failed to respect the rule of law in our country once before. I have a general, Shockey's theory of civil-military relations is that any veteran who leads with their rank as though they were still on active duty ought to be greeted with skepticism, right? They are are hiding behind their military service instead of arguing about what they're going to contribute going forward. And so I think anybody who does as... Retired Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North does and, and leads by calling himself Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, although he has not been on active duty in 30 years or so. Uh, you know, it's a sign that they are trying to hide behind the public's respect and affection for the military in order to do damage to that very reputation.
1: Um. It does raise the, the, the prospect, Ed, that the new slogan of the NRA would be the only way to stop a bad man with a gun is an organization run by bad men with guns.
4: Yes, I, I just to. Try, <laughs> I, I think that's that's a good one. I mean, I just wanted to correct Corey on one point. Um, it, it's um, it, Lieutenant Colonel, not Lieutenant. But other than that, I agree with everything <laughs> she just she she just said. Uh, uh, so I hadn't realised that what the NRA stood for was the Nicaragua Rifle Association, wow. as, as somebody <laughs> as somebody on Twitter helpfully pointed out. Um, This is
0: what Twitter was made for.
4: And when North releases his statement on on receiving this appointment, uh, that he's going to hit the ground running, I I can think of more apt and (laughs) more reassuring metaphors he could use for to express his enthusiasm um, for the job, but generally speaking, David, I agree with the way in which you asked the question the, the fairly slanted way tending towards one conclusion, which is you couldn't make it up, and um, we in the news business um, are enjoying it
1: yeah yeah, well, we're enjoying it all, but I mean rosa as a as a close uh, observer of American popular culture, you have to acknowledge that. It seems likely that Oliver North may have been chosen as president of the board of the NRA um, because he's actually the least odious person on the board. <laughs> at least this is a possibility, given that Ted Nugent is on that board.
2: <laughs> it's a possibility. I will say this in light of Oliver North. He's at least one conservative <laughs> to make a deal with Iran.
1: Yes, he's pro Iranian deals. That's-
3: Absolutely, we should get him out there.
1: <laughs> he's, yeah, I'm
3: sure,
0: he's the only I'm sure, hope for the. Iranis.
4: That's a very good point. It's a
1: well, the president fun. will call him up and congratulate. Yeah, well done,
0: Mika. On
1: the, the president will call him up and congratulate him on the job, and North will say, "Wait a minute, I have an idea. If you just take that jikpoa and bake it into a cake." <laughs>
3: Well, yeah. David, I'm I am old enough to remember when the Russians were our enemy, but but maybe Oliver will forget that whole unsavory episode when we didn't like them, and and he'll be the Kremlin's friend as the NRA has already become, and we will have world peace. Um,
1: well, this, I, that's that's where we're going as a country. Even at, you know, I thought. In one of the sort you know, there's sort of we, we, this is, you know, a podcast for sort of Washington insiders, I guess. And as as in one of these moments that you really particularly have to appreciate in Washington, the president's wife, who is in hiding, you know, comes to, is, is slated to go and make her announcement, which she just did uh, in the time we're recording this about her agenda. Which, by the way, is against cyberbullying and about being nice to people, which, you know. Right. I hope she starts at home. And and it's got a bunch of ugly subtext, by the way, you know, like the president has to stand up to compliment his wife and he reads from prepared remarks because he can't think of anything to say. But, you know, simultaneous to this, the president at the exact same moment that his wife is doing this releases the announcement that he's going to make the Iran decision. So the news steps on that, and simultaneously, the White House is having its press briefing at the same time as you know they couldn't give Melania fifteen minutes of un you know no, no competition. And in the press briefing, that Sarah Sanders says to or in, in at the same time roughly. The, 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 the Sarah Sanders says something to the effect of, you know, we congratulate President Putin on his inauguration and we look forward to a time when we can work well with Russia again. I mean, they're still not over it, Mika.
2: No, they're not. I mean, I, I find it shocking, right? I Some part of me suspects that everything that Melania does is actually a subtweet aimed at the president, that she's not.
0: Oh, it's, it's, um, interesting.
2: But like that the Beyonce hat, the pussy bow blouse, the anti-bullying campaign are her sort of quiet acts of subversion of what he is. And maybe that's why they don't want to give her the time.
1: Yes. When she made the announcement that she was particularly going to take a strong stand um, uh, against kids participating in government corruption with the Russians, I thought it was a little heavy handed. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's just her being a
4: stepmother.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That was her survey. Well, okay, so let's let's shift a little bit further into the week. We've talked about Monday and we've talked about Tuesday where there will be these the, this Iranian announcement, which we talked about at some length the next week. On Wednesday of this week, um, the president's nominee to be head of the CIA Um uh, is going to have her time in front of the United States Congress. There are reports that as of late last week, she was thinking of withdrawing because of the controversy around uh, her involvement with um, torture and uh, or enhanced interrogation methods as we like to euphemize about it, uh, and that her fear that the debate would once again cast a bad light on the uh, Central Intelligence Agency. I wanna start as we go around again with you, Mika. Tell me what your view is on this.
2: So uh, I think that Gina Haspel's nomination is really problematic for a variety of reasons. And one, it's just the CIA has been trying to close the door and walk away from this episode, which is a very dark period in their history. By putting her up as the nominee, there's no question that we're going to refocus on what the CIA did, who approved it, what was done and how horrific was it and what was the internal battle inside the agency. But beyond that, aside from her participation in this program, when it was very clear that Congress wanted to investigate, she authored a memo that authorized the destruction of the videotapes that were evidence of this. So A, she was not only complicit in the activity but she was part of the coverup. And I think what that, that says about her and her character is that she will very loyally serve the political leadership that she has. But at a time when her political leadership expresses such admiration for autocratic governments, he wants to use law enforcement against his political adversaries who may have been involved in the use of a foreign intelligence service against Americans and who is attacking our law enforcement agencies, his instincts and what he would ask her to do are really very far from anything that we would find acceptable in a democracy. And that she is the kind of person who says, yes, and then says, let me cover it up, is really very problematic in this moment in American
0: history.
1: Okay, Corey, let, uh, let me turn to you on this. My, my, my I, I must say, I'm a, I have a kind of a mixed view on this. But according to everybody I know within the agency and in the intelligence community, they think very highly of Gina Haskell. She has had a very distinguished career. She has put herself on the line. She's done a lot of things remarkably well. Uh, And in fact, in a different country led by a different person, and this kind of echoes a bit what Mika is saying, she might be... A, 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 you know, potentially with one exception, a not good nominee uh, to be head of the CIA. She is certainly a very, very well qualified nominee to be head of the CIA. But there presumably are lots of people who are qualified for these top jobs, and we have to look at the message that we send. And if the message that we send is enhanced interrogation methods are okay, we don't care about global criticism of this, we don't think we went too far in the past, um, uh, then that's, that's potentially problematic. And that's why I think she's very well qualified, but she shouldn't be confirmed. But I'm wondering what your view is.
0: I do have a slightly different view than that. I, um, I think that the right place to level the criticism about the message this sends is at the president. And um, I also think that in general, Congress should give wide deference to a president of either party. That is, I I think our country would be better served if qualified nominees were generally approved if a president nominates them of either party. Um, and so uh, I I hope she gets confirmed. I think she would be a good DCI. Uh, I think she ought to get a tough grilling by Congress to explain the choices that she made. Um, even in the case of the tapes, my understanding was that she, uh, you know, she, she sent the cable out in response to a leadership decision and, and should she have fallen on her sword? Maybe let's investigate that. But do we want only the pure of heart uh, overseeing American intelligence operations? I, I'm i nervous about that because, first of all, there are very few people true, truly pure of heart. Second of all, you know, I don't think Martin Luther King was a good husband, but I'm really glad he was the leader of the civil rights movement. And I think Franklin Roosevelt had a lot of uh, problems, and yet I'm glad he was president. So I worry that by freighting nominations with too much um, too much general policy review, that we're actually going to end up in a worse place with nominees.
1: Ed, what do you think?
4: I, th- I think that's a really good point, and I don't think that Gina Haspel should be rejected out of hand. I think a lot should depend on what she says in her testimony on Wednesday, on. The degree of um, candor and, uh, if you like, truth and reconciliation that she provides in her answers, in terms of where the CIA went wrong, um, what damage enhanced interrogation and indeed destruction of the evidence caused to America's reputation, and in answering the letter sent by you know the more than a hundred retired um, uh, military people who are opposing her nomination, it is worth. You know it is worth stressing that people who are very critical of trump's um uh, power overreach who are very worried about um trump's um uh, constitutional um uh, tramplings um such as john, john brennan um and other former cia directors people who do know gina haspel well have countered that letter from retired military, um, uh, uh, from retired generals by by warmly endorsing her candidacy, uh, her nomination. So I, I think that it, a lot really does ride, and I suspect in practice will ride, in terms of a stray democratic vote or here uh, here or there that she needs to get above fifty, um, on on the quality and candor of her answers um, um, at her testimony.
0: You know, Can I, I leap in with one other, um, point, I'd also which, like to join on this one. Yeah, okay. No. Rosa, you take it. I think you and I are going to the same place, which is generals opining on well, CIA no, heads. No, actually, I, I, I
3: want to go back a little bit further to something else that you said, Corey, um, you're, your, your course correctly note that Martin Luther King and Franklin Roosevelt, uh, Certainly had some character flaws. They were both, uh, you know, Martin Luther King was an adulterer, et cetera, et cetera. But but adultery and torture are, I don't think, go in the same column in terms of uh, level of wrong, right? One is a private wrong. The other is a public wrong. And torture also, at the time it was done— uh, m- part of the reason that the, the, the retired military officers are objecting to this is that it was pretty clear that at the time it violated both U.S. and international law, not to mention being pretty obviously immoral to anybody who thought about it for like a millisecond, you know. And, and so I don't see this as just a little peccadillo, nobody's perfect. You know, on the one hand, there's lots to like about Gina Haspel. Uh, I, it would be fantastic to have a woman CIA director. And also, I think that the 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 best that can be said about her, the best that is being said about her is that she's a professional who is not an ideologue, unlike most of the people Trump surrounds himself with. She's not an ideologue. You know, she's sort of a good soldier. She follows orders. But, you know, there are two categories of, of people who contribute to really horrific stuff in the world. One is the ideologues, and the other is the, you know, the good men who remain silent uh, and allow the triumph of evil. And, and the fact that she's not an ideologue is not very comforting when, in fact, in in the face of orders that were illegal at the time, uh, would be illegal if given now, um, you know, that she clearly, not only did she not say, no, guys, I will fall on my sword. And there are people who did fall on their swords over that, uh, particularly in the military, but she went along with it. She said, okay, you know, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. Um, And I don't think that's okay. You know, I don't think that's as bad as being the one who said, hey, 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 let's do it. You know, I love it. Uh, But I think it's pretty bad. And, you know, quite frankly, our obligations under both prior U.S. law and international law would be to prosecute the people involved with those actions. We as a nation have chosen not to do that. President Obama chose not to pursue criminal prosecutions, but we have not, not only have we not had prosecutions, as as Ed alludes to, we haven't had any sort of truth and reconciliation process. I don't think she gets a pass on this. I think it's just too much of a big deal. She wasn't she wasn't a low-down person who had no power to object. She was sufficiently high up that she absolutely had the power to make a difference. There are plenty of people who did speak out in both political parties at the time and afterwards. Uh, you know, I, I think that she is... You know, unfortunately, because in so many other ways he's a very appealing person, uh, but I think that's the brakes. You know, you you go along with something that is a violation of U.S. and international law, and clearly immoral in a big way, not a little way. Um, you know, you don't get to be the head of the CIA.
1: Yeah. Well, let me let me Mika, let me take this question a step further because it's not occurring in a vacuum, uh, and in fact, in his defense of Gina Haspel, the president of the United States um tweeted out that um he you know that it was that people were criticizing her for being too tough on terrorists and, and and the clear implication was that she wasn't too tough on terrorists and that what was going on was okay and so you know it's not just that she's done these things and destroying the evidence is the thing that has more people upset actually i think than following orders but but it's that she, she, it, she would be the head of the CIA for a president who once again thinks this kind of behavior is okay.
2: Right. And I think that even in the administration that did authorize these activities, there was a recognition that this was a moral wrong, but potentially a moral wrong that was necessary for a broader national security purpose. And there's no sense of that at all in what the president is saying. He's not even acknowledging the immorality here. I think that that's a real problem. But the other thing is that I think that this decision is coming against this backdrop and this concern that no one good will serve in the Trump administration and that they're left with either ideologues or people wholly unqualified. And she's neither of those things. But it's important to note that this morning, the intelligence community floated the possibility that if Haspel were not confirmed, that they would consider putting up Susan Susan Gordon, who's the deputy, director of national intelligence, also a seasoned professional, has a long career making the intelligence agency better at um, better at using technology and being very innovative at that, who was not involved in this program and is also a woman. So it's not like we are faced with this choice of a CIA director who was involved in torture or a CIA director who wants to go to war yesterday. There are still other people out there that are qualified professionals that would win the support of people who would be willing to serve in this position. And I think that that's important to make um, clear to people as they're thinking through how they feel about her. It's not this or someone works, which is often how we think about Trump administration
3: appointees. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Well, another point that I think com- is, is brought up by that um, is that the, the another response of the Trump administration to this criticism has been, how can you criticize? She's a woman, you know, and 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 you want women to be ad- advancing, and 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 now you're attacking our nominee, who's a woman. Corey, what what do you think of that?
0: Uh, I yearn for the day when gender is irrelevant in these decisions. That that's that's when sexism will be done. When it's utterly irrelevant. But we are nowhere near that, and the Trump administration is the least balanced administration in quite a long time. Um, I don't, I don't know the figures, but uh, if you walk around the cabinet and the subcabinet and the third year, well, there, tier-
1: there was that period of time that the Marquis de Sade presided over the inmates <laughs> of the <its laughs> asylum at Charenton, and uh, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bravo, David. <laughs> so, um, I'm I am not particularly uh, inclined to favor or disfavor someone on the basis of their gender for a job.
1: Good, good point. The final thing that's going to happen this week on the schedule um, is that the United States is going to send a delegation consisting of its ambassador, its uh, Secretary of the Treasury, um, the daughter of the president, the son-in-law of the president, who are both senior officials, uh, the chief negotiator for all things, um, uh, 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 another attorney for the president, to the opening of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. Um, A moment that will be rather fraught, not just because an Iran deal will be um, uh, announced, but also because of the ongoing tensions on the border uh, that exists within Israel between Israel and 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 Gaza. Uh, and Ed, as our most recent correspondent in um, Israel, uh, I'm just wondering whether you think the closer we get to it, this decision to open the embassy. Looks more like a unnecessary self-inflicted wound.
4: I think it looked like that at the time, um, and uh, it, it continues to look like that. Uh, and clearly, this was Trump fulfilling a campaign promise without regard to the uh, the balance and delicacies in the region of this supposed two-state plan that he's still, uh, and that Jared Kushner is still uh, supposedly, uh, you know, um, uh, trying to draw up and and get ready for for its announcement. Uh, I know people who've um, briefed um, uh, the president's son-in-law and Greenblatt and others involved in in that plan, um, who very recently, by the way, last week, somebody who spent three hours with them, um, who's, who, who, pass back to me, I think, you know, with a lot of credibility, that, that it, it, this isn't a paradigm-shifting plan. This, there is no great surprise that will change our view of um, prospects uh, very, very already weak prospects, even before the Jerusalem announcement, for a two-state solution. So having Jared, um, you know, who's in charge of this plan, uh, uh, Mike Pompeo is going to take an interest too, but who's still in charge of this plan, Aniban, Kerr, and others, um, go to open the uh, the embassy, this small site, whatever it is, in Jerusalem um, at the end of the week, is just going to, I think, uh, be, be emblematic of 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 what poor prospects there are for their really big announcement, um, which is their two-state plan.
1: Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left in this particular episode, and I know that Mika um, will not be able to join us on the next one, so I'd like to direct the last um, question to her. Um, as you look at the greater Middle East now, you've got the U.S., they're going in, they're throwing down with Israel. Who knows what the ties between the Israelis and this government have been on issues like this black cube thing. Certainly, there are strong echoes between Trump and Netanyahu on a lot of things, ranging from their policies to their potential prosecutions. Um, The the, the Israelis are now saying the Iranians are teeing up missile attacks on them uh, from Syria. The US will have pulled out of the JCPOA, and while things may remain normal, it's certainly gonna increase tensions um, with the Iranians. As we discussed in our episodes last week, the US has moved special forces to the border in, in Yemen. Um, it seems to me like the Middle East is about to get more dangerous for a protracted period of time. And this means, you know, higher summer gas prices, but I'm wondering what else it means to you.
2: So what I feel like is happening right now in the Middle East is a shift in the United States' sectarian preferences in the Middle East from being anti-Sunni in the wake of 9-11 to being anti-Shia now and realigning its security priorities without much conversation about that to the American people, and it's all been sort of massed under this ban of counterterrorism. But we don't really have a lot of sense that the American people are behind this kind of shift, that they really want to confront Iran. There's no authorization for that. And we're not being straightforward with people about what it is that we want to see in the Middle East and how we intend to achieve it. At a time, as as you say, if it gets a lot more dangerous and unstable in the Middle East and the U.S. is actually forced to either commit um, troops or weapons to the Middle East or funds, I'm not sure that we have the consensus in a democracy of people thinking that this is the right thing to do.
1: Um, Well, a good place to tie this up. It's a busy week that we are looking ahead at. Uh, And we hope you all will join us for our second podcast of the week when we discuss um, uh, how some of these things have turned out and some of the other big issues that are bubbling up. And we hope there is no cause to have a third emergency podcast because something has gone off the tracks. In the meantime, I want to thank Mika. I want to thank Corey. I want to thank Ed. And I want to thank Rosa for joining us. And I want to urge all of you come back soon. And while you're at it, you know, you can keep sending in those good acronyms from last week. Uh, I think four <laughs> people um, one, one mugs for sending in their favorite acronyms. And one person at least made up a new acronym, which we certainly like. Uh, so keep those, uh, you know, cards and letters and tweets coming because we like sending out deep state swag to our deep state nerds who we love. So <laughs> bye-bye.